I'm Alka Kurian, host of South Asian Films and Books. I'm also a faculty at the University of Washington, Bothell, teaching film, literature, gender, and human rights. In South Asian Films and Books, I'm going to look at how South Asian writers and filmmakers explore some of the major issues and help us make sense of the world that we inhabit. From politics to culture, each episode looks at a topic that impacts and shapes the lives of people living in South Asia and its diasporas. This is South Asian Films and Books, an original podcast broadcast from Seattle. Subscribe to South Asian Films and Books as soon as possible so you don't miss a single episode. My guest today is Shonik Sen, an Academy Award-nominated Indian filmmaker, video artist and film scholar. Sen has a PhD from India's prestigious Jawaharlal Nehru University. His first 2016 documentary film, Cities of Sleep, won six awards. I'll be talking to him today about his second documentary film, All That Breeds. Made in 2022, the film won the Grand Jury Prize at the Sundance Film Festival, the Golden Eye Award for the Best Documentary at the Cannes Film Festival, and was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Documentary Feature in 2022. This documentary is the story of two brothers who run Wildlife Rescue based in Northern Delhi. It's a bird clinic where they've rehabilitated birds, tens of thousands of them, over the past two decades. Sen joins me from Bavaria in Germany. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Alka. It's very nice to be here. Watching all that breeds changed me in the way Cities of Sleep did. It shows us the lives of scavenging rodents, canines and tortoises, monkeys climbing through a cabal of electric poles and wires, and of course kites, birds of prey. All of them living side by side with humans in what can be called an urban detritus. Seeing them and the people who care for them was a revelation for me. How was it for you? The film actually began in all earnestness, I think, much before I met the brothers. The thing is, when you live in Delhi, you're constantly aware of this kind of texture or tone of life in the city, which has entirely to do with this kind of a sensorium of greyness, you know, because the air is just, as you know, super polluted and it's visual. So you're constantly surrounded by this grey, tactile, almost creepily sentient, heavy, vaporous air. And in that, you know, you're constantly aware of this monochromatic sky with the sun feeling like this diffused blot and every time you look up you see these black lazy gliding dots in the sky which are the birds called the black kites so in a way we all know that especially in the winters that's like the dystopic picture postcard of the city and for a while i was interested in capturing this kind of tone or a texture of life in the city and alongside this general feeling, I had a kind of a interest in human-on-human relationships or entanglements, philosophically or conceptually speaking. And in a way, the film came about in this kind of a abstract triangulation of humans, birds, and the air. And that's how the film initially came. But I was looking for people who had a deep or a profound relationship with the skies. And I just happened to literally Google where do birds that fall of the sky go to. And that's when I initially came upon the work of Nadeem and Saud. And, you know, it's singular and it's brilliant and it's cinematic and all of that. And once you've gone to the basement where a large part of the film is set and where they live and treat birds and have treated over 25,000 black kites in the last 15 years, it's just such an inherently cinematic space. You don't know what time of day it is and 
you know you can't really put a finger on when a film begins because it starts with this kind of a ineffable glow at the back of your head and then it slowly takes on the blunt force of the irreducible specificity of the characters lives and we met the brothers and we were very excited about that damp derelict basement that they lived in because it felt so cinematic and after that the film becomes a kind of delirious fever dream and it's like you've jumped off a cliff and you know it's you're constantly arm wrestling with it and before one new like 3 years are over and you're already editing and so on so i think if i had really at gunpoint had to put a finger on when it began i would say it began with my thinking about the texture of life in delhi and was it transformative for you the process i mean it's transformative and it has to be transformative in multiple levels for one you become the person who can make the film through the process of the film and uh, what essentially happens i think is that you've spent 3 years looking at the world through the demon eyes of the film and you know you spend so much time looking skywards and paying attention to all the non-human life and critters um jostling cheek by jowl in the city that everything changes but also a true rigorous deep dive where you feel like you're in free fall conceptually and aesthetically for a really long time you know it's like a phd i mean all of us who've been in academics you know that if i asked you if your phd was transformative of course it was right so because you give so much and you're constantly wrestling with something and it's painful and it's at the same time somewhat magisterial and all of that so the making of the film was of course the process is the reward otherwise nobody would make non fiction films nobody goes into it thinking of the financial incentives obviously personally i, I had a big personal loss by lost my dad in the middle of the film very suddenly i had to deal with some sudden sickness uh, and so on so some of the film took on a more somber introspective tonality because of you know your own life also becomes raw material or fodder for the film just like the film illuminates your own life in different ways so there's a kind of a incestuous cross pollination that's really impossible to um, initially anticipate but that's the thing you know it's you're letting something take on your life in a manner that you won't ordinarily permit something to and that kind of permeates into every aspect of your life so of course therefore for multiple reasons it is undoubtedly um, transformative and i think stuart hall also talks about the ways in which you come into being through writing and at a personal level i can say that when i write something let's say if i write fiction i don't know while i'm writing what i'm writing but when i write it when i look at it i'm filled with a little bit of wonder how did it all come into being the cliche thing to say is that that is the creative process in that the reason why you have to show up every day is because you discover things most creative acts are less inventions as they are discoveries and the difference between the two words being to be inventive is to have a greater degree of volition whereas discovery is also a kind of almost like a semi agential finding right where ideas are things that you stumble on and that suddenly pierce you you know you know all of us have had experiences where you know it's a classic line when about editing a film or about writing a screenplay which is that it's never as 
good as you think it will be on day one and it's never as bad as you think it is on the final day. Which also means that it's an alien thing. The only time it's not alien is in when you're in the, you know, at the bleeding edge of spontaneity. And that's the only time when it's not alien. And that is such a transient, effervescent time that it'll always be slightly in the past or in potence in the future. So one is really talking about iterative versions of oneself that are either outdated or are yet to come in constant anticipation of a great tranche of creativity to come. So this sense of alienation or a kind of fracture from your past self is most heightened in creative drafts, therefore. That's very beautifully put. So I'd like to talk about the brothers. They are accidental bird doctors because a local bird hospital in their childhood had refused to treat an injured bird. And ever since, they've been rescuing injured birds at times at the cost of their own safety, looking after them with a profound sense of dedication despite limited funds and access to resources. And yet they see their work like a religious duty. So talk about their devotion to this radical care at a time when neoliberal capitalist ethics is a prevailing force in India. Well, for one, I wouldn't just slot it as religious because I think it's in equal measure philosophical, spiritual, conceptual, and actually an emotional thing for them. What's interesting to me is how they feel like they're outsiders to all the familiar discourses of climate change or care work even today. For instance, the usual dispositions around climate change is either a kind of a gloom and doom despair or a kind of a prelapsarian romanticism, or it's a kind of pedantic, moralistic screeching, which, you know, it's almost like you hold the audience by the collar and instruct them to feel bad. But to my mind, that sort of films, especially environmental films that do that kind of overt virtue signaling do more disservice than good. The brothers were interesting because they have a kind of voice that is starkly different in that they have a kind of a wry resilience or a kind of unsentimental stoic, put your head down and get on with it because, you know, the birds will go on falling and you have to go on doing. And as you go on doing this, you accrue a kind of a moral credit, the belief in which was handed out to them by the spiritual cosmology of their mother. And by the way, interesting for me was that not only this kind of a emotional attitude, while they have the front row seats to the apocalypse and that birds are literally falling down from the skies of the city into their basements, but also a kind of a concatenation of secular and non-secular discourses together in that they're as interested in a Darwinian evolutionary perspective and they're as interested in cutting-edge scientific stuff about urban ecologies and so on and behaviorist studies, but they're also as motivated by a kind of non-secular perspective, a kind of a spiritual perspective, which has to do with the world of folklore and myth and specters and good deeds and all of that, which is why I think it actually feels more sophisticated and complex to me. Well, I don't know sophisticated, but definitely far more layered and complex. So I was very interested in that kind of a perspective because, you know, their lens of looking at the city just disaggregates it in a completely different way. I mean, to circle back to the final line of your question, I think any way a kind of a more than human lens of looking at the city, by more than human, I mean perspective that doesn't take the human as its absolute reference point, but non-human stakes as well, already 
feels like it's something which is militating against a regular neoliberal perspective which often tends to be extremely human centered and often has a kind of a extractivist relationship with nature which is seen as a kind of a standing reserve or a kind of a repository or a reservoir of things to just take from so already when you expand that kind of a purview in life to non human stakes already there is a kind of a distribution of the sensible in that you are already empathetic to alterity to otherness which already begins and uh, you know like going a long way so their whole perspective of what you correctly couched as radical care in a way is something that's really not common in today's world just the fact that so much of their day is concentrated on non-human concerns sort of immediately makes them stand off the beaten path in terms of what any of today's regular perspectives afford and it's not like they work towards having a kind of care that is radical but it's more like a you know the sense of empathy attention a kind of a slow decelerated care towards thing is truly singular and that's what really makes them stand out your film shows how the birds have adapted to their changing environment for example songbirds have learned to sing louder so they can be heard about the din of traffic urban kites feeding microbiomes on the city's gut gliding through delhi's air choking with pollution are smarter than their rural peers or those from earlier generations it's some kind of a natural selection that they've learned to live in humanity a kind of natural environment and yet practical though they've become over the years over the decades having survived all the chaos of the natural human habitat there is this powerful sense of helplessness among the birds located in the ecosystem of religious soundscapes of terror violence and fear the birds can be seen as wide-eyed attentive and alert searching for the source of this hate wondering if they would survive this change in the environment and i wonder whether you did it deliberately or was it just accidental well i certainly did not want to anthropomorphize bird behavior at all i was also trying to be careful to not overtly render them as metaphors you know the kite itself as an urban animal is tremendously interesting and its layers are something which that has had tremendously successful urban career because you see it's not a conservation problem the kite density the population has only exploded in recent years because the landfill is so big and so on that alongside the pollution of the city alongside it the various socio cultural codes that kind of ends concert all of those things are multiple layers but no i did not actually want to consciously make it feel like the bird itself is responding to the heat in the city at all because that really would be actually flying in the face of the film in that these are layers that are wrapped around each other in more subtle indelible ways the ecological and the social do intertwine but i did not in any way want to anthropomorphize the kites this is not like a traditional folk story in which the animal is humanized and made as a kind of a moral mouthpiece in the film i also wanted to sidestep the tendency to read the brothers as being metaphors for the kites or vice versa because that also is a slightly dangerous thing right because that entails a kind of dehumanizing 
yeah so i try and tiptoe and circumvent readings that ascribe too much intentional reading to the ways in which the kites have been shown talk a little bit about the sense of fear and dread that is engendered by the ecosystem of hate that the brothers are living through while you narrate your story through the lens of the camera you're looking at their daily lives they're tending to the birds they are living in the house and the house is located within all kinds of sounds of hate and some kind of a violence that's being projected around them so talk a little bit about how they experience that hate how they see themselves situated in a place where what they've given is care what they've related to their environment with a profound sense of dedication and commitment and that political space is committing itself to alienating them well when we began the film it was meant to be uh, purely ecological or philosophical it's through the shooting that we realized that atmosphere of delhi was increasingly becoming more turbulent and tumultuous socioculturally and then the violence broke out and politically it was very rife and there were different protests everywhere and so on so initially for the most part what i had decided is that instead of crowbarring in the socio political i wanted to respect the integrity of what i was seeing and the brothers are not political people overtly so this film could not have any kind of a frontal political engagement and we had decided that that would be the form for sure that it would not be political but what happened was that the outside world would often leak in into their house through audio resonances or bits of sounds would hemorrhage in and like it would be like a slow drip of the macro world outside through so, so a character would go to the balcony and you hear the distant murmurs of a unruly crowd or a character is looking at the video of what appears to be violence and you only hear the audio of it and in that kind of a grammar we wanted to basically suggest that clearly the epistemic wallpaper of their lives is turbulent and the brothers are still soldiering on with the work with the kites despite the city going through difficult time but it was important for us that the social fractures stay oblique and tangential and never become frontal because it would otherwise not stay true to the story of the brothers therefore what happens now and i actually prefer it this way is that you sense the socio political more than being told what it is instead of it being becoming a kind of pamphleteering film which tells you that exactly this this happens there is no agenda per se in the film in terms of it's doesn't bear its lays card out at all and you just get vague ambience of trouble and i think it's more subtle and nuanced and backgrounded therefore would you say that in the family nadeem's wife tabassum who lurks in the background tending to the family feeding the family occasionally and looking into the clinic she shows quiet resilience she knows how to treat a bird's wounds of course she does the family itself is tremendously resilient as you can tell obviously they're far from being financially well off and every month is really a struggle but the fact that they soldier on doing what they're doing and for me the brothers fenstens are like three don quixotes who peddle in micro miracles and each bird that flies off 
that enclosure after being treated is really a miracle given the conditions in which that family continues struggling tabassum both the wives i would say are also incredibly tenacious people and what was interesting to me in the film is that they are the ones who are actually interested in the social stuff going out right they are the ones who insist on in going out and seeing what's happening and they come back and report what's happening and while when she sees that saud is overwhelmed with work she takes on the kite work so she is also she also has great proficiency with the black kites so of course she's tenacious and the family itself is truly uncommon and uncommonly gifted and uncommonly brave family so where do the birds come from because you see the birds being brought in these boxes so who delivers these boxes to them well often uh, salik goes and gets them so the thing is that now they have a very good understanding with different bird hospitals where they go and take injured kites or raptors from different bird hospitals because they've now specialized in raptors whereas the hospitals do a lot of the care work for the songbirds so that or uh, their numbers are the first numbers that come up if you type bird rescue or kite rescue or something so they get a lot of direct calls from people who found the numbers on google i'm fascinated by the title of the film and you briefly mentioned the role of the mother in in the brothers lives where she says she taught them that one mustn't distinguish between all that breeze whether it's trees fungus vegetation etc so talk a little bit about you know how that led to you coming up with the title of the film Sure for the most part the working title of the film for the better part of 3 years was actually airborne and of course in the context of the pandemic that has an unfortunate clinical tone to it so we changed it and essentially i was looking for something that is able to encapsulate the various layers in the film and isn't just instrumental about the brothers or their relationship with the birds because the film is really about non-human life and human non-human entanglement or kind of kinship or neighborliness between a kind of speciesistic neighborliness and that broadest sense of coexistence had to be somehow invoked by the title and the fact that the brothers uh, their mother would talk about this kind of radically non-hierarchical life and they often quote their life through this maxim i've seen south literally care for puppies sometimes when a snake is brought over no matter what it is they will try their best they really don't distinguish they i've seen them live it and therefore all that breeds as a title attested to this expanded kind of a perspective on coexistence how do you see their future and how do the brothers see their future the future is still an open question because in light of the film of course the last year even in terms of the brothers life to say the least was not a regular year the film coming out in january which is sundance and thereafter in can in the summers and you know after that the awards campaign began and so on the brothers traveled constantly to and fro with the film all three of them came to can nadeem at this point has probably gone to as many film festivals if not more as i have and they came for the releases in the US in New York to the BAFTAs to the Oscars obviously and all of that so there's a tremendous amount of media attention that was there on their work last year a lot of media coverage and so on and obviously it's good because more than ever there's attention on this issue and so on 
and the brothers are traveling and you know it's all it's great in that sense and anything that for this film has happened in terms of the attention having said that it's not like a film can simplistically change a family's life in one fell swoop and it's also very important to not promise the world to your characters because the hope is that there's a momentary oasis of some kinds and some degree of material alleviation which i hope has somewhat happened in so far as our producers tanglewan studios very kindly funded their hospital for a year similarly i share a part of all the award money that i have in for the film so we've tried to put in place a kind of ethical hygiene protocol because i think material alleviation is also important simply put but having said that i don't know it's still not enough it's far and few and we were hoping for more charity coming their way there has been some but i don't think it's enough and it's not like a film can anyway in one fell swoop convert everything and i was careful to not make them see the future through those kinds of rose tinted glasses that's a complex question there have been some things that have worked out well and it's been good but there's some things that we hoped would have worked out better and i am optimistic about their future but i am very very guardedly and cautiously optimistic and they're grown ups they're mature and they were very happy and thrilled with how the film was doing and we tried to have most of these conversations as transparently as possible so we could constantly both of us could constantly have a sense of what to expect and all of that so it's been fairly adventurous so far and i am optimistic about the future but i'm not ebullient about it what are you working on now i think i'm ready for fiction now so i want to make a fiction film so i'm currently in bavaria actually because i i'm trying to write a fiction story out we'll get back to documentaries eventually but not not now i've always wondered why as a phd scholar you chose to become a filmmaker rather than an academic they were never really mutually exclusive binaries for me in that while i was doing the phd i was actually making my first film which was series of sleep and the film i was working on had absolutely no connection with my conceptual or academic interests so in a way i was always interested in being able to be slightly bilingual now that has all gone out of the window because i no longer actively work as an academic it's i focus as a full time filmmaker but what it does is that one in a way i think it cross pollinates and is a strength in some ways and is actually a weakness and a drawback in others in that when you're initially thinking of an idea it allows you to be patient and with concepts and access more ideas around that topic right because you can enter it through different theoretical and conceptual lenses when you're shooting the academic part of your brain is not very helpful because uh, especially with non fiction it's a kind of radical embrace of the unscriptedness of the world and in that the academic impulse to frame taxonomize and understand something which is often a kind of a hubristic move in that you know it, it tames an object is not a good thing because you don't want to be front brain and you want to be in touch with the unconscious and with impulse and spontaneity and so on so a lot of those things actually fly in the face of conventional 
academic thought that as a process so during the shoot i'm trying to always like suppress that part of my brain whereas in the edit again that comes back as a kind of an asset because again you have that kind of a editorial distance and you're looking at the world analytically again so in a way sometimes it helps sometimes it very much does not through the first film i wasn't really clear about when to make that gear shift now i think i have a better handle on it but all in all to say that it wasn't really ever a division or a choice really between whether to become an academic or filmmaker i was constantly doing both i was practicing and listening but and both help one another incidentally i don't know if you feel this but i feel like i read more after my phd you know i read in a more broad based way because i'm it feels like you've taken then you become a more autodidactic person in that you're reading what you're interested in so i read a lot still but i'm not reading to publish anymore and i'm not reading to be on a career track i'm still very interested in the conceptual but i always knew i wanted to make films and the reading of film and philosophy etc was because i was interested and i wanted to develop that kind of conceptual muscle and it's always for the most part help can I ask a connected question do you think filmmaking and distribution has become easier as a result of the ott platforms in india now it's a real double edged sword it's become in equal measures significantly easier while it has also inaugurated novel hoops to jump through in that of course it's a different galaxy in comparison to the world in which cities of sleep was made so between 2015 16 to now when the second film has come out it's a totally different world the ott platforms that you can distribute your film through and the biggest problem really was the kind of dissemination infrastructure you you just didn't know how to put out your film and even though i tried to be as trigger happy in showing my film around you eventually run out of energy so it helps a lot to have platforms and all of that but remember that the truth is that these platforms have also in a way formatted the so called golden age of non fiction that we are experiencing now within air quotes of course the general appetite for non fiction globally has burgeoned but having said that we're also at a time where most creative non fiction filmmakers will tell you that there is a tremendous hunger for formats like true crime or reality comedy sort of things but the truth is that a lot of creative non fiction is also now beginning to get a bit strangled because it's basically come in and very soon prescriptive formulae of what is working and what is not working thankfully the market is still not fully closed down so there is i think some wriggle room but having said that basically a lot of the platforms have also only uh, regimented and calcified a lot of what works and what doesn't so it's a different kind of a prescriptive formula that one has to deal with so i am not entirely euphoric but i am fairly cheerful cautiously cheerful about this moment so there are clear pluses and there are clear negatives So now that you are moving into fiction filmmaking at least for now do you think that necessarily entails your journey from Delhi to Mumbai as most people do 
or does location not matter i think it matters less though it does matter of course to a large degree um, i don't know if my example would really be a good thumb rule because people tend to assist and you know like go through the ranks of second ad first ad and so on which i have not done and that seems a great way to learn the ropes and all of that and i haven't assisted and like i went through the independent circuit through a kind of grant based funding and then moved into getting a studio and a private equity model on board and so on but having said that i don't know if i'll be asking for money from bombay for this film not that i have anything against bombay in principle of course but for the film that i'm writing right now no i don't think i'll be asking i don't know whether the kind of stuff i make is yet palatable to the bombay film industry so no i don't think all paths lead through bombay well on that note thank you so much for talking with me it's been a pleasure thank you the production assistance for this episode was provided by the language learning center at the university of washington seattle the editor alpna sood and the social media coordinator sana sheik